in part four of a series that we're calling Get Your Life Back. Everybody say, Get Your Life Back. All right, so that's what we're talking about, getting our life back. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've talked about getting your life back from uh, dealing with forgiveness. We've talked about marriage, getting your marriage back. Last week, Pastor Drew did an incredible job talking about getting your life back in your finances. And how many of you will never look at bananas again the same, right? It's just, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you got you to go watch last week's message. It was so good. Today, I, I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about something that has, it's a misconception. I want to talk about um, depression and mental health. And it's something that so many people are dealing with today. Uh, it's actually running rampant. But before we get there, I want to give you our theme verse just so you know what Jesus wants for you. And that is in Matthew 11 that Jesus says, are you, are you tired? Are you, are you worn out? Are you burnt out? Are you, you, you feel like throwing in the towel? You feel like you can't go on? Are you feeling depressed? Well, if so, come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. And that's where we get our, the, the title, Get Your Life Back, right? That's what we want. How many of you want to get, recover your life, right? So he goes on to say, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. And he says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. It's, kind of, it's unforced. It's just, it kind of flows, right? I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. I want that kind of life. I don't want anything heavy or ill-fitting. He says, keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. And that's what we're trying to do in this series. How many of you want that kind of life? Freely and lightly. Yeah, we want that. And so uh, it's important for me to tell you, though, that I am, I am not an expert in this matter, okay? I'm not an expert counselor, but I did stay at Holiday Inn Express last night, just to, <laughs> to let you know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding about that part. I'm not an expert, but I, I did save a lot of money by switching to Geico. Just, just also untrue. Okay. So, um, no, really, I'm not an expert counselor. I can't give you clinical uh, knowledge, but I can give you biblical knowledge. Okay? And that's what I want to do today. And so uh, here's what I want you to hear today is that um, I, can, I can't speak clinically, but I can, I can speak biblically. And there is a resource I want to point you to if this is something... That, that affects you or maybe somebody that you know, uh, which could also be you. You know how you do that thing like, you know, my friend is really dealing with and it's really you, okay? If you know somebody who's dealing with it, this is a brand new book by Pastor Chris Hodges. I've read this and it is incredibly helpful and um, it will point you in a, a lot of the right directions. And so I want to I recommend this to you. I've read it. I've read several books in preparation for this series on uh, the topic of getting your life back and depression and anxiety and those kinds of things. And so uh, I'm, I, can't, I can't give you um, the clinical, but I can give you the biblical. And so what we're going to do today is I'm going to give you the reasons we end up in depression, okay? So when you leave today, I don't want you to leave hopeless because next week I'm going to give you the reasons that we get out of depression, okay? First, today, I got to tell you how we get in it. Next week, how do we get out of it, okay? Are you looking forward to that one? So it's next week's how do we get out of it. Now, uh, some of you, I can look around the room already and I can tell you that you're, you're thinking, man, this message on depression is depressing, right? You're just, you're not even like, I, I don't even want to be here. It's just depressing to be in a message on depression. But you need to be here because here's what, here's what the statistics say. The World Health Organization says that depression is the lead cause of disability worldwide. 
the lead cause of disability. Another uh, study says that depression is now considered to be a global epidemic. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Another study says that depression medications have increased 300% over the last few years. Another study says that one out of every six Americans are on some type of medication, antidepressant medication. I mean, that's crazy. And then, if that wasn't enough, you think about last year, we all experienced something uh, that you may be familiar with it. You may remember a little bit about last year. It was called 2020. Do you remember last year, right? Some of you have been trying to forget that. But the truth is, uh, it was exacerbated last year in 2020. Check this out. In 2020, calls to mental health lines went up 891%. We might have a problem on our hands. When divorce filings went up 26%. When our young adults in America, 25% of them considered taking their own life. That it wouldn't be worth living. And, and for the rest of us, that was 10% of us who thought, I think maybe I would be better off not living. And the people around me would be better off without me. That's crazy. That's, that, that, that shows that there is a significant issue that we've got to deal with today. And so what I want to do is um, I, I want to acknowledge that there are some very real biological reasons that we would end up depressed. There are biological factors. And I don't want to ignore those. But I also want to tell you that if we only focus on the biological reasons, then we will miss some very helpful and significant um, solutions to the process. Can I get an amen? Because you're going to see in a moment that, that, that there's only two biological factors for depression, but there's seven psychological depression uh, factors, okay? So we'll take a look at that in a moment. But the thing that I want to just mention is that I'm not against, don't hear me, say something I'm not saying. I'm not against medication. I'm not against therapists. We have therapists who attend our church. We have counselors that attend our church. I'm not against that at all. I'm, I'm just simply saying that not everything requires medication, okay? Not, not every symptom of depression requires uh, medication. Are you with me? Are you hearing me, okay? It's helpful, and there is a time and a place for that, but it's not for everything and everybody, amen? So here's what I would tell you, though, is that depression is not a malfunction of your mind, it's a signal that something's wrong. It's a signal that something is not functioning the way it's supposed to be functioning. And I, I, I feel strongly about this because I, I feel like in our society today we have a, a stigma when it comes to depression. So let me say it this way, um, it's a signal that something's not right. Um, if I told you I were sick, you would not judge me you wouldn't look down on me. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't push me away unless I had the coronavirus. Come on, somebody. And then you'd be like, unclean. He's unclean. Stay away, right? Think about it this way. Uh, you probably don't know this, but I wear glasses. So I wear contacts everywhere in public, but um, usually wear glasses at home. But if you saw me out in public wearing glasses, you wouldn't say, I can't believe it. Did you see him wearing glasses? I mean, he, something's wrong with him. He's wearing glasses. You wouldn't do that. I mean, would you? I mean, ho hopefully you wouldn't do that. No, you wouldn't do that. Why? Because my eyes are part of my body, and they just happen to be a weaker part of my body. Hey, can I tell you that your mind is part of the body, and sometimes it just struggles a little bit more than other parts of your body. And so it's not a sin to be sick. Come on, somebody. If y'all don't help me preach, I'm thinking to, to preach, right? 
Come on, it's not a sin to be sick. And the other thing I would tell you, number two, is that your identity is not your illness. Your illness is not your identity. So we, we gotta quit living like it is and, and being identified by what we deal with or letting, our, letting what happens in our mind determine who we are or decide who we are or design us. It's not that way at all. So what does the Bible have to say about this? What does the Bible have to say about depression and anxiety and fear and worry and all of that? Well, just like everything else, the Bible says that God wants us to be free from those things. In fact, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but the, the, I have come that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly. He wants you to have life to the max. He wants you to have life to the full. John says that it's God's will for you to prosper and to be in good health just as your soul prospers. So he wants you to prosper. He wants you to be in good health. Paul said it this way in Galatians, that it is for freedom that Christ set us free. So he wants us to know God. He wants us to find freedom. He wants us to discover purpose. He wants us to make a difference with our lives. It's his will for us to be free. Now, when God wrote the Bible, he didn't use people who had their, their act together. He didn't use people who, who didn't have any problems. Are you thankful for that? When God wrote the Bible, he put people, it's, it's full of people who had issues. And some of those issues, some of the things that they dealt with were depression. You take a guy like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. And Jeremiah, he was a man of God, a man of integrity. And God did a work through him. God used him in a powerful way. But he was so depressed that he wrote a whole book of the Bible dedicated to depression. It's called Lamentations. He lamented for a whole book, writing out how depressed he was. In fact, he says in Lamentations 3 that I've been deprived of peace. You ever felt like that before? I've forgotten what prosperity is. Prosperity is, is remember, it's that he gives us more so we can be a blessing to those around us. I, I haven't seen that lately, God. He says... I, I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. God, where are you at? And he goes on to say that I remember my affliction and my wondering and my bitterness and the gall. And I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. I just don't even feel like getting out of bed. I don't feel like doing anything, Jeremiah says. And, and he's not the only one. You have the Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Everybody thinks, man, Paul, didn't, he, he, never, he never had any hard times. Oh, come on. He had a lot of hard times. He was shipwrecked and he was, Jesus was beaten one time with, with the, the cat of nine tails. Do you remember this? He was beaten 39 times. Paul received that same beating five times. Oh, yeah, he had a reason to, to be going through some depression. He had a reason to, to be afraid, a reason to be dealing with anxiety in his mind. But Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians, that we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced. So he's saying, I don't want you to think that we've had everything just, it's been nice and clean and crisp and no problems. No, he, he says in the next verse that we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that to the point we wanted to die. We just didn't even want to go on anymore. We despaired of life itself. We didn't even want to go further along. So, so Paul's been there. Jesus went through depression. Man, are you sure? 
Garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating drops of blood. He's stressed out. He's depressed. He's, God, where are you? What's going to happen on the cross? Why have you forsaken me? He's been abandoned. He's been abused. He's dealt, he's been there. But on top of that, then we have this other guy in the Bible. His name is Elijah. Okay? And Elijah is man of God. I mean, Old Testament prophet that is just incredible. God showed up in his life in a powerful way. God is moving in his life. And what happens with Elijah is, uh, let, let me tell you a little bit of his story, all right? So he's this prophet. He's raised people from the dead. He has done miracles of like filling, um, like working with a, a widow and, and I can't remember if it was the, the, the oil or the flour. I can't remember which one it was. But anyway, he's, he's done so many miracles. He's prophesied that it's going to be a drought for three years and it has been a drought. And then all of a sudden, um, the, the Bible says that a, a chariot of fire scoops down and picks Elijah up. He doesn't die, the Bible says. There were, there were onlookers and witnesses that, that Elijah is, he, he gone, right? He gone. And then he shows up at the transfiguration of Jesus. So it's Jesus, and then all of a sudden, there's Peter, I'm sorry, there's, there's uh, Moses, and there's Elijah right there beside Jesus. Heaven is given his stamp of approval on this character, Elijah. And then, from what we can gather, we believe Elijah's going to show up in the end times as well. So, like, he's still going, Elijah is. So he's a man of God, but he went through his own bout of depression. And I want to I kind of set this up for you, because Elijah was, uh, he lived during one of the most wicked kings of, of history, King Ahab. And all of Israel had turned away from God. And so Elijah comes to King Ahab one day, and he says, Hey, King, um, I want us to have a friendly competition. Here's what I want us to do. You gather all the false prophets, the prophets, false prophets of Baal and Asherah, 850 of them, and I want you to invite them to Mount Carmel. Let's invite the whole country, all of Israel, and I want us to go to Mount Carmel. And here's what we're going to do. They're going to build an altar, and we're, we're going to have two bulls. I'm going to take a bull. They're going to take a bull. And we're going to sacrifice that bull, cut it up into pieces, put it on the altar, and whichever God answers by fire is the God that w- will serve. How about that? And, and so they agree to it. They're like, okay, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> and so uh, this other group of prophets, the false prophets, they're over there, they're chanting, they're dancing, and they're trying to get fire to fall from heaven and nothing. And Elijah starts taunting them. He's like, hey, where, where's your God at? Is he on a business trip? Is, is he in the bathroom? Like, well, what's going on with him? Nothing. Well, Elijah, he, deal, he, he digs a trench around his sacrifice. He builds an altar, puts the, the, the bull on it, and, and they soak the wood and the sacrifice in water. And then he prays a prayer, and all of a sudden, fire falls from heaven, consumes the sacrifice on Elijah's altar. And then he says, hey, kill those false prophets over there. They kill all 850 of them. And he's on top of the world, right? I'm on top of the world, hey. I'm on time. Everything is awesome. It's that. It's incredible. It's great. Until it's not so great anymore. And here, there's a lesson here. Elijah's worst moment came on his mountaintop. And that's a lesson for you to know today. That some of our worst moments in life don't come when you're already down in the dumps. It comes when you're on a mountaintop experience. That you're living in adrenaline. And the problem is you haven't refreshed your soul. 
And so the first negative thing that happens in your life, it just it causes you to fall into a depression. It gets you down in the dumps. And that's what happens with Elijah. And we're going to see his story today. In, in 1, uh, 4, 1 Kings chapter 19, it says, Now Ahab told that Jezebel, right? Y'all know, y'all know about Jezebel? He told, he, he told everything to, uh, that Elijah had done. And he says how he killed all the prophets and all the sacrifice. He told her, told her everything. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. So she doesn't, she, she, she sends a message to him and says, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make you like one of those that you've killed. So in other words, um, she, didn't, she, didn't, she didn't send someone to kill him. She sent a threat to kill him. Are you following me? And here's what Elijah does. It says that Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. He took off running based on somebody's post on Instagram. He, he ran for his life based off of a text message that someone sent him. He ran for his life based on what somebody said about him on Facebook. They snapped something that was, it was harsh. And he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba, all right, Beersheba is the place that he made a commitment to God. He went back to that same place of commitment and he said, God, I'm, I don't think I can do this. This is not what I signed up for. And he left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And it goes on and says that he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he would die because of a threat. I mean, are y'all following me? He just saw a miracle happen. He just saw 850 prophets killed with the sword. Like, God's, God's turning Israel back to himself. Like, and, and, and this miracle of fire falls from heaven. And then, also, I didn't tell you about this, but the drought ended that he had, that he had prophesied. He ended the drought as well. And, and it rains and rains and rains. It's so incredible to see what happens. And, and he says, I'm, just take my life, God. If this is the way you're going to treat me, if you're going to let this happen, just, just take me because I'm, I'm no better than my ancestors. And so what I want to do today is I want to take a look at Elijah's story, all right? There, there are some factors that happen in Elijah's story that happen in our lives. In fact, there's nine factors that cause depression. Seven of those are biological. And the reason I say that is because that means seven of those are something that you could have control over, something that you can change. Two of those are biological. You can't do anything about those. Seven of them is something that you can do something about, okay? And I want to take a look at six things, six of those nine things that happened to Elijah that caused him to fall into a depression, and we deal with these all the time, all right? Are you ready? All right, say, turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to get your life back. Okay? All right? Now, turn, turn to the neighbor that you... Turn to the neighbor you ignored the first time, the one you didn't want to say anything to, and say, say, I'm fitting to get my life back. I'm fitting to get it back, all right? Right. All right, here we go. We've got notes to take, so, and I have limited time. I'm going to, I've got to hurry, all right? Number one, the main, uh, one of the causes of depression is life imbalances. It's a life imbalance. Again, I don't want you to hear me. I'm not writing off medication. I'm not writing off doctors and therapists. I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm giving you a biblical standpoint of this, okay? And so it's a life imbalance. 
Johann Hari says in his, in his book, uh, Lost Connections, that we need to talk less about chemical imbalances and more about the imbalance in the way that we live. All right, think about it this way. In other words, um, we're doing this to ourselves. Research shows that, that our depression has a lot to do with our lifestyle. So we're doing it to ourselves. I read a statistic this week in, in the book, Get Your Life Back, which is another great book that I would recommend, that says 90, the average person will spend 93% of their life indoors. So that means if you live to be 100, you will spend 93 years of your life inside an artificial environment with artificial air blowing on you at 68.5 degrees. You, you will eat from artificial plates and you have artificial fruit in your house. Come on, somebody. Like you, even the fireplace is artificial. For crying out loud, the plants in our house are artificial. They don't even produce oxygen and they're producing like some toxic gas probably for us. Everything in our lives is artificial and we're staying so much inside that, that I love what Stephen Illardi says in his book, The Depression Cure, another great book. I'm telling you, these are great, great books. This one, he says, we were never de designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of the modern life. And everybody said, amen. But we were never meant for that. It, it's not how God created us. And so I would, I would say this, if, if it's a disease of lifestyle, then perhaps we need to change our lifestyle. Maybe it's time, what, what do we do, Pastor Ben? What, what do we do to change our lifestyle? What, what do we do? Maybe it's time to take control of your life. Maybe it's time to reorder your life. Maybe it's time to change the pace of your life. Maybe it's time to get out in the sun and get some vitamin D. Maybe it's time to go for a walk. Maybe it's time to change your diet or to change your habits. Maybe it's time for that because Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes that it's better to have one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. It's better to have one job and see your family a little bit than to have two jobs and can't remember your kids' names. Come on, right? It's, it's better to slow it down a little bit and to do less because we can't have it all. We can't do it all. So we've got we've to change our lifestyle. It's the life imbalance that causes depression. The second thing that causes depression is comparing ourselves to other people. And I know probably you don't struggle with that. But if you did, right, if you knew somebody who struggled with it, um, you, you could help them out. And this is what Elijah does. He struggles with comparison. He says, I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm, I'm no better than, than these, th these people of my past. I'm no better than anybody else. God, you, it, it, because I'm going through this, you, you must not think much of me. I'm, I'm, I'm not that great if you're letting me go through this stuff in life. God, I'm no better than anybody else. And what, what is he doing? He's comparing himself. And I think one of the greatest traps of the enemy today for comparison is what we call social media which is actually anti-social media. Uh, it, it, it drives a wedge into most of our relationships. It's not social, it's anti-social. And there is actually, there's actually a link, a direct link between envy and comparison and, um, and jealousy and depression because of use of social media. 
Studies prove that. There's a direct link between comparison and depression and the use of social media. So what happens is we get on social media and we just start comparing ourselves with everybody else. We take our miserable life and we compare it with their highlight reel. Come on. Some of you did that yesterday when you saw a picture of me and my family down at the University of Texas at that the Longhorns game, you're thinking, oh man, if we could do something like that, I wish we could do something like that. They look so happy and fun. And if you only knew, that was a long ride home, everybody. Five hours. Oh, they've got the perfect life. They've got it all together. They, the pastors, they never have problems. If you just were a fly on the wall riding in the Yukon on the way home, come on. It was not great. It wasn't pretty. But according to Facebook, it was. I mean, according to Instagram, we got it all together. And that's the trap. Because we don't have it all together. And neither do you. And, and so we got to quit comparing ourselves to, to each other and what somebody has and what we don't have. And, and we need to quit being offended. I love what Teddy Roosevelt said. He says, comparison is the thief of joy. Well, if I just had what they have, my life would be better. If I just could do what they do, then people would like me better. And it's a, recipe, it's a recipe for a mental health breakdown, all right? So the comparison trap, what do we do about that? Well, the Bible says in Galatians that each one of you ought to test your own actions, that you ought to, you ought to take pride in yourselves alone, okay? This is not a, this is not a sinful pride. It's a healthy kind of pride. Take pride in yourself alone and don't compare yourself to other people because you're supposed to carry your own load, and what social media or anti-social media has done for us is it's forcing us to carry the load of people that, that we were never meant to carry. We were, we were never meant to know all of the things that we know now in the world. You were never meant to be burdened down second by second with every notification that comes across your phone of everything that happens in the world. It was, it's not, you're, you're not supposed to do, we're not designed for that. We can't possibly carry those burdens. So we're supposed to just carry our own load. Can I get an amen? amen? The third thing is, is ruminating and self-talk. Ruminating and self-talk. This is what Elijah does. He, he says, I'm the only one left. Nobody else, God. I've been serving you, and everybody else has been killed. Ahab, Jezebel, they've killed all your prophets. God, you, I'm the only one, and here, you're going to let me die too. What's he doing? He's self, it's self-talk. He's ruminating, and the enemy shows up in his conversation. I'm, and he goes on and on and on, talking about he's, he's the only one. And remember, next week, we're going we're to give you how to get out of the cave of depression. Today, we're talking about how you get in it, and it's ruminating. And some of you are like, man, what's, what's ruminating? I mean, what's, what's ruminating? Well, it's, it's what the cow does, right? It's... Um, a cow will eat the grass, it will chew the, the vegetation, it will eat it and chew it, and then it will swallow it. And then it will throw it back up in its mouth. And then do it again. And how many of you know that it doesn't taste better the second time? Right, only, only ice cream, right? No. Sour. It's gross. But that's what we do to ourselves. Hey, we, we ruminate. We chew it up. We swallow it. And then we bring it back up again. And then we chew it up some more. And then we swallow it. 
and it just makes our soul bitter. Come on, somebody. And that's where Elijah was. Elijah was one of the founding members of Hee Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Bloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. That's that. So that was his theme song back in the day. He had the pitchfork in hand. He had the straw hat, overalls on. Elijah, was, he was given in to rumination and self-talk. He got alone in his thoughts. Um, another author, Brian Tracy, says that 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself. Come on. Come on. It's, it's self-talk. And it's what the enemy, he wants to, he loves to show up in your self-talk. He loves to take you down a rabbit hole, down that deep, dark hole, uh, uh, leading you into a cave of depression. So what do you do about it? Paul says in Philippians that that if you're going to ruminate, hey, if you're going to think on something, if you're going to meditate on something, why don't you meditate on what is true? Hey, why don't you think on what's noble? Why don't you start talking over and over again about what's right and what's pure and what's lovely and what's admirable? Come on, if you're going to think about something, think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy, as it says on the next slide. Think about those things that, 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 that you, like, think about those kinds of things. And I never, I haven't noticed this before. I've preached this passage to you. I've memorized it. I have prayed it. I quote it. And I've never, never seen this before I've probably seen it but it didn't stick out to me until today that if I'll do those things if I'll think about what is true right pure noble lovely admirable excellent praiseworthy then the God of peace will be with me Man, I just don't have any peace what are you thinking about I just don't have any joy what are you thinking about because here, here's the thing whatever whatever controls your mind controls your life so if you can control your mind, you can control your life. Well, how do you do that, Pastor Ben? You've got to have some people in your life that, that know what you're thinking. Let me say it this way. You can't be the only one who knows your thoughts. You've got to let somebody else know what's going on in your life. That's why small groups are so important in our everyday life. We've got to let people in our lives. Amen? Amen. All right, the fourth thing Elijah did, we do, is that we have this inability to process pain in a healthy way inability to process pain in a healthy way what do you mean well all of us are hurting at some level and all of us do something for that pain all of us medicate that pain in some way you can call it coping you can call it medicating but you do something to ease the pain every one of us so the question is, what do, you, what do you do? What do you do to medicate the pain? Are you, are you scrolling it away? Are you sleeping it away? Are you eating it away? Are you drinking it away? Are you binge watching it away? Are you staying up till three in the morning gaming it away? Come on, what, what are we doing to medicate the pain? Wh- how are we dealing with it? According to the Washington Post, in the quarantine of 2020, March, April, May, in that, and during that period of time, drug overdoses rose 18% in March, 29% in April, 42% in May. Medicating the pain. Medicating, just dealing with the pain. But I'm here to tell you today that there is a better way. 
There's a better way to deal with the pain. Anybody want to hear about it? Okay, all right. You're like, please tell me. Here's how we deal with it. There's a guy, he's, he's uh, passed away now, but he was a Jewish psychiatrist who, who saw patients in Vienna, uh, Vienna, Austria. He, his name is Viktor Frankl. Okay, he survived the Holocaust. He experienced some of the worst of the worst. Many of his family were killed, tortured. He was tortured. So many of his friends and family went through the Holocaust. And after the World War, after World War II, he saw patients who were suicidal because of the war. They were suicidal because of the Holocaust. Many of them had been through the concentration camps, and they were all considering suicide. And what he told them was, um, uh, was a breakthrough, okay? Frankel believed that Sigmund Freud was wrong about his theory uh, about depression. If you've, if you've studied this, you, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. If, you, if you're not sure, I'll just summarize. Uh, fr- what Freud believed is that life was all about pleasure. And that, and that in order to get over some things in your life, in order to get through depression and get through these anxieties and all of this stuff in life, you, you, needed, to, you needed pleasure. That's what you really needed. But, um, but Frankel didn't believe that. Frankel believed that you needed meaning in your life, that you needed purpose. And if you didn't have purpose to overcome those things, then you would dull your life with pleasure. Anybody following me? And so that's where, a lot of our, that's where a lot of our coping mechanisms come from. We're just doling our life with pleasure. That's all we're doing. And so Frankel believed that we needed meaning and we needed purpose in our lives. And so he came up with what he called logotherapy. And in this logotherapy, he gave three things to all of his patients who were struggling with suicide. And he said, first, you need meaning for your life. He gave them meaningful work. And so that's why, if I could just pause and time out and say, that's why we believe in the dream team so much here at church, is because it's people who are finding their meaningful work in life, that God has a purpose for them, that God has a destiny for their lives, and he has something greater than just going through the motions and going through the day-to-day life. He has something greater, amen? And so that's why you need to go through the growth track. You need to get involved. You need to serve on the dream team so that you can live out your purpose for life. So you won't dull yourself with pleasure. Which, by the way, growth track step one starts next Sunday. You can start that process next week. But he says you need meaning in your life. Number two, you need a community of people who will love you unconditionally. You need small groups. And then the third thing he says, this is years ago, he wrote a book, Man's, Meeting, Man's Search for Meaning. And he says the third thing you need is you need to, you need to find the positive in your pain. Pastor Ben, what are you talking about positive in my pain? Like, my pain doesn't have a purpose. Yes, it does. There's purpose. There's a reason that you went through what you're going through. Come on, somebody. So, so there is purpose for your pain. You went through it for a reason, for a destiny. And here's the thing about, here's the thing about Frankel's um, patients. Not one of them committed suicide under his watch. Huh. Not one. Because they found their purpose in life. They weren't dulling their purpose. They weren't dulling it with pleasure. So let me show you what Paul says about this in 2 Corinthians. It says that God comforts us in all of our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those with any or with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. So in other words, you go through things in this earth so that you can then turn around and comfort other people who've gone through the same thing. 
What's the purpose of your pain? It's to comfort those who mourn. It's to help somebody who's going through the same thing. He goes on to say that for just as we share abundantly in sufferings, we go through hard times in this life, so also our comfort abounds through Jesus Christ. And then in the last part of it, he says, if we are distressed, if I'm going through something in this life, it's for your comfort and salvation. So the reason why you go through things in life is to help somebody else. It's to make a difference in the life of somebody else. And if you're comforted, that's great. It comforts everybody else too, which produces in you patient endurance for the same sufferings that we suffer. So we got to deal with our pain. Number five, we see Elijah deals with this. We deal with it is isolation and loneliness. Loneliness. Isolation and loneliness. Sociologists would tell you that loneliness is the worst pain that a person could feel. Uh, pe- people describe loneliness and depression as worse than childbearing, worse than epidurals and back surgeries and, and broken limbs. That, it, it's painful. And Elijah experiences that pain of loneliness, that pain of isolation when he left his servant there. Remember, he, he left his servant. He said, in other words, what he said was, it's time for me to just focus on myself. All my life I've been taking care of everybody else. It's time for me to do for me and mine. What you going to do for me and mine? I'm going to take care of mine. I'm going to focus on myself for a little bit. And it's a trick of the enemy to isolate yourself. I wish I had a joke. I don't have a joke because I feel like you need to laugh. But it's isolation. Researchers say that loneliness is the greatest pain. And that's why God said it's in, in Genesis chapter 2, it's not good for the man to be alone. The, the first problem in the Bible wasn't sin. What was it? Solitude. It was that man was alone. So what do we do about this? Romans 12 says it this way, that since we're all one body, what we've got to come to know is that we're supposed to be together. We're better together. It's better when we operate as one because you are meant to be a body, not just a body part. You are meant to be together. You belong to each other. And that each of us need the others, we need all of the other parts. We need all of the other people in our lives. And then the last thing I would say is that we, f- we forget about this one sometimes, but you are not a human being having a temporary spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being having a temporary human experience. Okay? And so what that means is you are a spiritual being and you have a target on your back. That the enemy wants to bring you down. He's doing everything you can to to keep you away from God's purpose and God's plan for your life. And what we forget is, number six, is that it's spiritual warfare. It's spiritual warfare. Now, the, the older I get, the more I'm in ministry, I realize that things are more spiritual than what we think they are. I'm not a guy who thinks that the devil's behind every rock or anything like that. But there's a spiritual warfare going on that you can't see. You, you, you don't know it's there, but it's happening. Well, I don't know if I believe that. It doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that it's real. It's still happening. So what if I told you, what, what if I told you that um, tonight someone's going to break into your house? I, I heard, they told me, I got, I got intel, got inside info 
and they're going to break into your house tonight and they're going to steal everything you own and they will kill everybody who gets in their way and I, I would just ask you if I told you that what would you do like what I like how would you respond to that you you probably wouldn't go to sleep if you stayed at home at all right but if if you if you're there you on the front porch right and you're ready to introduce them to your friends Smith and Wesson come on meet Remington But in, in all reality, you're going to do everything you can to protect those that you love. You're going to do everything you can to, to keep that out of your house. And so listen, it's a spiritual war. The, the Bible says it this way in, in Peter. What, what we would do is that we would need to be self-controlled and we would need to be alert. If we knew something like that was happening to our family, to our home, come on, we, we would be self-controlled. We would be alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He is looking for someone whom he can devour. And so Peter says, you've got to resist him. You've got to stand firm. You've got to stand your ground in faith in Jesus Christ. So listen, there is an enemy. There is somebody who wants your soul. There is somebody who's trying to keep you in a cave of depression. And you've got to resist it. Well, Pastor Ben, I, I don't know about all of that. It doesn't change the fact that it's real, that it's happening, that the enemy wants to keep you down. He wants, he wants to destroy your life. And so what you've got to do is Ephesians 6, that you've got to put on the full armor of God. Well, Pastor Ben, I've, I've got, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. God's protecting me. But hey, listen, your armor doesn't do you any good if it's hanging up in the closet. Come on, you're going to have to put on the armor of God and you're going to have to take a stand against the devil's schemes. It's the, it's the Greek word uh, where we get the word schematic. That he's planning. He has an attack. He's very crafty and he has a scheme to bring us down. So here's what I want to leave you with. And that is, God's given us the authority. You have the authority. But you have to use it. You have to use it. Well, it's just always going to be this way. I'm always going to struggle. No, in Jesus' name, Christ came for freedom to set you free. It is for freedom that Christ came to set you free. No, it's, it's always, I'm always going to struggle with this. No, Jesus came that you would have life and have it to the abundance. I'm always going to struggle with this. No, God's will is for you to prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Is, any, is this helping anybody today? He wants that for you. If you believe that, come on, let's praise God today. Let's praise God that we believe we have the authority. We have the authority. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me today? And I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to single you out. If you're, if you're dealing with, with depression, I just want to pray for you today. I want you to come back next week. We are going to talk about how to get out. But this is something that affects all of us, really. Maybe at different varying levels, but we're all dealing with these kinds of things. And so, Father, right now, for every person who would just say, I'm, I'm going through it. I'm lonely. I'm isolated. I've got imbalance in my life. I've, I've, I've got, I, I'm, I'm too far in one lifestyle. I, my, my, my lifestyle needs to change. I'm, I'm, I'm comparing myself constantly to other people, and I'm never measuring up. God, I pray right now for the presence and the power of God to rest on this congregation today, that we would leave here different than we came, 
that now we know what gets us into the cave of depression now we know God help us to help help us to be mindful of those things help us to set our minds on you because you said you will give perfect peace to those whose minds is stayed on you God I thank you that you'll let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight oh Lord our rock and our redeemer thank you God for your presence in our lives thank you for delivering us from oppression and depression thank you for new life we walk out of here different today in Jesus name with your head still bowed if you're here and you'd say Ben I'm far from God I don't have a relationship with God I'm distant I've drifted I've been doing life my own way I've been calling the shots listen the first the first step to 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 healing in your life the first step to deliverance in your life the first step to a new life is a relationship with Jesus Christ to go all in with him to have to have union with him to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and if that's you if you're not there now but you want a relationship with Jesus you want to make you want to make things right today's your day and I want you to boldly courageously on the count of three, I want you to slip up your hand and say, that's me. I'm ready to go all in with God to start a new life with Him today. If that's you, one, two, three. Come on, slip up your hand all over the place. One, two, three, four. Anybody else say, that's me, Pastor Ben. I'm ready to go all in with Jesus today. Anybody up top? Anybody over here? Anybody say, that's me. I'm, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on. I see you in the back. God bless you. Anybody else say, I'm ready to go all in. I'm, I'm doing things my way and I can't keep it up. I'm, I'm, I'm worn out. I'm tired. It's time to go all in with Jesus. I'm proud of you. Hey, let's pray this prayer together today. Say, Jesus, I give you my life, my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. I surrender. I believe in you. I give you everything. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for washing me. Thank you for cleaning me up, giving me a fresh start a new beginning you are my God my Savior my King my Lord and from this day forward I will serve you the best that I know how in Jesus name amen amen come on let's thank God today let's thank God for salvation for deliverance amen